I stand alone in him, in his grace forever. Needing his grace just as much today as I needed the day his grace brought me to salvation. And boy, we have sung about that this morning. We've sung about the onlyness of Christ and his, uh, his great work on the cross. I, I, don't, I don't think it could have been any better sets of songs to have sung today just for, for his glory. Thankful that we are before the throne of God above, that we have access into his presence by the blood of Christ. And as I was talking earlier, may God grant that the only banner that ever flies in this place is the banner of Christ, the cross, as we worship him week by week and, and year by year. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. I, I realize we dealt with the last section of Hebrews chapter 13 and the last section of the book of Hebrews last Sunday morning, but... I think there's still at least one good sermon out of Hebrews 13 that I want us to deal with today. And, and one more sermon out of Hebrews that will come next week, all right? Lord willing, we will close out the book of Hebrews next week by looking at chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. I want to tell you that now so that next week when I come in and say, take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, you won't have a heart attack thinking we're starting the whole thing over again. We're not. But I do think it important that we go back to that first section and remember why we started this uh, uh, series. What the, what the writer, as I hopefully convinced you of last week, I know I didn't, and I wasn't really trying to, but giving my evidence why I think Luke wrote this sermon, that, that why this sermon was written. And remember, the, the book of Hebrews is not a, a classical letter, but it's more of a sermon. It is an exhortation. He even closes it out by saying that. You know, I, I have exhorted you, and I, I'm writing you, uh, this brethren, this word of exhortation that I've written to you briefly. I, I mean, he's saying, I, I, this is a sermon I want you to hear. It's important that you hear the doctrinal part of it, the, the glories of Christ the high priest, the glories of the new covenant, the glories of all that God in Christ through the cross has done and through the blood of Christ. But it all comes down, and when you pull it all together, starting in chapter 12, when he says, listen, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, and then coming to chapter 13, giving us what we have broken down in about five sermons that we'll look at in one sermon today is really what I would call a picture of a godly Christian. The, Christ, the picture of a mature believer. The picture of a man or a woman who is in Christ and who is growing and who is seeking to bring honor and glory to God in every area of their life, whether it's work or church or, or recreation or, 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 or school or whatever it might be. What the writer is doing in this chapter, and like I say, we broke it down in pieces. Now I want you to see it as a whole this morning because the glory of this picture, the beauty of this picture is what God desires for each and every one of us to reflect. That of a mature believer. There, there are basically nine marks in this, and, and your faith talk that you have in your bulletin today to take home and, and talk with your family about after church and discuss it over lunch or dinner or, or throughout the afternoon deals with each of these points uh, consistently and wants you to think on them as a family and think on them together because they're important. 
And, and, and because of that, you parents need to hear this. And because of that, you young people need to hear this. Now, there's some young people sitting together today that I'm a little worried about because they've talked the whole song service. And, and young folks, you need to listen to this because you're going to discuss it with your mom and dad this afternoon. And you need to be able to answer those things, okay? So it's important that you hear what the marks of a mature believer really are. I'm not going to read the whole chapter because basically with each point, I will read the entire chapter. But I want you to hear these nine things as clearly as possible. What is a healthy Christian? What are the marks of a healthy Christian? Well, first of all, he starts out this chapter 13 by saying, let love of the brethren continue. So the first mark is that a healthy Christian will consistently show love to others especially within the family of God, especially within the body of Christ, that he or she will consistently show genuine love and genuine concern for those within the body. And I want you to see that the point here, the word love there, is a word that doesn't just mean we'll have a feeling for, or being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what will man do to me? Now it's amazing here that, that the writer ties in together this idea of being free from the love of money, being content with what you have, and this idea of trusting in God's providence and care. So many times we get caught up in worry about you know, whether the stock market is going up or down or, 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 or if we're losing our retirement, if we're losing our savings or, or, or what's going on here, is there anything? We've, we, seek to find, we seem to find our security all too often in stuff, in money, in possessions. And what the writer here is saying, listen, God is going to care for you no matter what the stock market does. God is going to care for you no matter how, much, how many thieves steal your money. God is going to care for you even if your house burns down and you lose every possession that you've ever had. God is a providential, caring God who loves you and who takes care of those who are His. And a maturing believer and a healthy Christian will be one who is not so caught up and worried about things as they are about saying, Lord, I trust you, I follow you, I believe you, and that's all I need. Understanding the providence and the care of God is really what matters in our lives. A fifth thing, and I know I've got to move a little quickly here, but a fifth thing, a fifth mark of a healthy Christian is that he will respect or she will respect those in spiritual authority over them. I, I made some jokes when we came to those verses, verse 7 and 17, about how those are the two verses that, that Baptists just really don't like. Wish God had never put them in his Bible. Well, they are there. And he says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Now, basically what he's saying in verse 7 is, honor those, respect those, and remember those who led you in the past. Those who led you to faith in Christ. Those who taught you the word early on in your life. Those who established a foundation in your life. You remember those. Don't forget them. They are a significant part of your spiritual heritage and your spiritual health if you are indeed a healthy Christian. How many of you can think back? You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you can think back 
Some of you 50 years, some of you 20 years, some of you maybe five years. But to someone who had a significant impact in your life and reflected Christ to you. You remember that person or persons? What they did was you, you looked at their life and you saw the result of their life and their conduct. And, and so the writer here says then imitate their faith. Doesn't say try to be like them. Doesn't say try to talk like they talk and look like they look and live like they live necessarily. But, but he says imitate their faith. As they followed Christ, as they believed Christ, you do exactly the same thing. And then he says in verse 17, he moves from the past, remember those who once led you, to now to the present. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for the world, uh, for, for this would be unprofitable for you. The author simply says, listen, God placed spiritual leaders, spiritual authorities, in your life for a reason, for your good, for your profit, for your benefit in becoming a healthy believer. And he said, you, you just need to hear them. You need to listen. Now, we, we went over that in depth as we looked at that verse. We said, if they're teaching falsehood, if they're living in, moral, in immorality, if they're disobeying God, then, then obviously there has to be dealt with. But so far as your leaders are teaching the truth of God's word, obeying God in their personal life as much as possible, as sinners themselves still they are, but yet no gross visible immorality, and as long as they are pushing you toward growth in Christ, then, then the writer says submit to them, obey them, listen to them. Don't be rebellious. To be rebellious brings grief to them and, and brings heartache and hurt to the leader and they need to be able to do it with joy because that is profitable for you. If, you do it with, if they have to do it with grief, if they have to do it with tears in their eyes, trying to, to say, oh, how are we ever going to get through this? We've, we've got a split group. Now, I'm so grateful to God. I, I can't tell you how grateful to God I am for Grace Baptist Church. Uh, if I say something wrong, you, you're, you're not hesitant to say, Bill, I don't think that's right, and we talk about it. But there's not a disunity in that. There's a unity, there's a oneness, there's a, there's a focus on where we need to go. And you tend to follow your leadership as God has told you to do. And not, as I said, it's not just me. I'm not the only pastor here. I'm one of four pastors. I'm, I'm the senior pastor uh, in many ways, mostly by age. But, um, but, but that's, the point is, you follow your leaders, those whom God has placed in that position in the church. The sixth mark of a healthy Christian is, it's found in verses 8 through 14, obviously the longest section in this chapter. And the point here is that a healthy Christian will not be moved away from Christ-centered doctrine. From Christ-centered doctrine. For the, for the healthy Christian, they don't need something new every day. They don't need to try to go out and find some new doctrine or some new snazzy teacher who kind of dazzles them with whatever. No, a, a healthy Christian keeps their doctrine Christ-centered in every respect because they realize that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. So a healthy Christian is not to be carried away by varied and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, 
though, uh, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. Understand that in the day that, that this was being written, there was a lot of emphasis on foods. Don't eat this. He was writing to a Jewish congregation who no doubt were still struggling with all the dietary laws and all the, the cleanliness laws that had been fulfilled in Christ. And they were still struggling. Well, can we, can we eat pork or can we, can we eat shellfish or can we, can we eat these things that, are, that, that were given as dietary laws? And, and so the food was what they saw as the important thing. What went in their body, food-wise, was what they looked at as being the thing that so made them holy, if you will. And the writer here is saying, listen, you're not to be strengthened by foods. It's, it's not what goes into the body that matters, but it's whether you're being strengthened by grace day in and day out. And, uh, and when you're strengthened by grace, you stay Christ-centered, Christ-focused, not on legalism, not on do's and don'ts, not on rules that men make up or culturally determine things, but you keep your eyes focused on Christ. I'll not be moved away from Christ-centered doctrine. Seventh, a mature Christian will be characterized by the spiritual sacrifices of praise, thanksgiving, and service. Verses 15 and 16. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of the lips that give thanks to his name and do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Right, I'm saying here, listen, a mature believer will gather with the body. He's already said, you know, don't... don't uh, don't neglect the gathering together. Don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together, as is the practice of some who say, well, I just have my own, I have my own private Christianity and kind of make themselves a church unto themselves. He said, no, you need the body. You need to be together in praise, and your life needs to be characterized by spiritual sacrifices of praise, thanksgiving, and service. You know, I, I love it when I'm driving down the road, and I have on my iPod uh, that I play in the car about, Every other day, every other day it's Alison Krauss. But other days, it's spiritual songs. And, and some of hers are. But, but I'm, I have this one playlist on my iPod that I, I've labeled personal worship. And I'll plug that in, especially if I've got a little distance to go somewhere, and I'll turn on that, and, and I miss everything. It's these songs we sang this morning. Before the throne of God above, in Christ alone, all I have is Christ. You made us your own. And all those are on there. And I'll go down the road and... And, oh, man, if there were a microphone in there, you would hear such great melodious singing. Well, maybe not. But you would hear noise, joyful noise, praising noise. And I love it. I love just driving along and singing and praising God and worshiping God, driving on the streets of Somerset or the highways of whatever. And I just, I just love it. But let me tell you something. It is nothing. It is nothing compared to Sunday morning. When we gather here as the body, and we come not to worship individually, but we come to worship corporately, and we come and we, we blend those voices together, and we lift our voices to God, and we praise Him, and we worship Him, and we thank Him. And then we go out from here and do good. We share that gospel with other people. 
Oh, there is nothing like the spiritual sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving that we bring together on Sunday morning. I, I would not take that for anything in the world. I would not take anything in the world for that. I think that's how I should say it. But I mean it. Individual worship is good and is important. Corporate worship is, mm, it's heaven-like. Because it's kind of like what we'll be doing when we're together in heaven. The eighth mark of a mature believer is found in verses 18 and 19. He says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience. Desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this, so that I may be restored to you the sooner. The eighth mark of a healthy Christian is that they seek a good conscience and they seek to live honorable lives. You know, one of the marks Timothy, uh, Paul gives to Timothy of an elder, and even a deacon, is that they are to have a good reputation within the community. In other words, they're to live honorably before unbelievers. They're, they're to live lives that people look at, and they may not understand at first that it is from Christ and by Christ and through Christ that you live this kind of life, but they look at you and they just see something different about you. The way you care, the way you listen, the way you, the way you show empathy to their life. They don't, they don't understand why that is. As a matter of fact, they'll probably make the mistake early on that you're really a good person. You probably don't have any sin in your life at all because you're living honorably and respectfully and such before them. That's why, that's why the old adage is such a ridiculous statement, you know, always preach the gospel and if necessary use words you cannot preach the gospel without words you can live honorably and people will think you're a great person but what we have to do then is lovingly and caringly take that honorable living and say oh but I I'm like this not because I'm a good person I'm like this because my Lord is a great person and my Lord has changed my life my Lord has infiltrated my life my Lord has changed me by his grace and for his glory. I don't want glory out of it. I want him to get the glory out of it. And a good conscience and living honorably is required for that. A good conscience is simply living in a way that you know that nobody can knowingly point to you and say, oh, but I know this about you. It's always the danger when you put anybody in leadership is that they have some skeleton in their closet. People can say, uh-huh, but yeah, you may be a, you may be a deacon now, or you may be a preacher now, but boy, I know what's really going on in your life. And that's why we have to talk about what repentance is and how, yes, that might have been the way I was at one time, but now I have a good conscience. Now I have a clear conscience before God because I've confessed and repented, and God has cleansed me of that. A mature believer, a healthy believer, will seek a good conscience and live honorably. And finally... A, a healthy believer will look to Jesus as his great shepherd to perfect him in good works. Now hear this. This is important. 
in verses 20 through 25, which we looked at last week and took apart completely. I just want you to take this away from it. A healthy believer will look to Jesus as his good shepherd. I, I quoted one theologian, S. S. Lewis Johnson, who said last week that sheep are the greatest evidence that evolution is untrue because sheep have not evolved to any kind of intelligence at all. They're, they're dumb. And they always are, always will be in, in everything. They need a shepherd. Is it coincidental that Jesus chose to call us his sheep and he is the good shepherd? No. Now I can hear some of you now say, well, I'm not dumb. Maybe not intellectually. Maybe not uh, school-wise. Let me tell you something. We can do some really dumb things. Spiritually and morally and every other way. We need a shepherd. We need a shepherd and we need the great shepherd. We need the only shepherd of our souls who can perfect in us good works. You see, I'm really not capable of the kind of works that God desires for my life. But I am capable of following my shepherd and him perfecting those works within me. Works are an outworking of grace. They don't bring about grace. They don't earn grace. They don't give you grace. But they are outworkings of grace being in your life. They're, they're outworkings of you following the good shepherd. And as this sermon is summed up, those are the nine things he wants you and me to see without any equivocation. He wants us to understand this, that a healthy Christian will consistently love others, will care for those in need, will honor the institution of marriage and family, divinely instituted. He will have an unshakable faith in God's providence and care. Uh, the, uh, the, the healthy Christian will respect those in spiritual authority over him. They will not be moved away from Christ-centered doctrine. They will always focus on him. Setting your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He will be characterized, or she will be characterized by the spiritual sacrifice of praise, thanksgiving, and service to others. This healthy Christian will seek a good conscience and live honorably before all men, everywhere. And finally, a healthy Christian will look to Jesus as the great shepherd and will trust in him to perfect good works in the believer's life. Following him as the good shepherd. Following him as the only one worthy of our allegiance. The only one worthy of our sacrifice. The only one worthy of our faith. Yeah, he said, follow and obey and submit to the earthly leaders in the church. But that is contingent on the fact that those earthly leaders, those under-shepherds, pastors, elders, are pointing you to the good shepherd. Listen, I don't, ha I don't have a lot to offer you except Jesus and his word. I, I don't have a lot of keen insight or, or clever formulas for the Christian life or, or good four or five or 12 step programs whereby you can be a better person I just don't have that what I have is Christ and what I present to you is Christ 
And what I declare to you as your only sufficient hope is Christ. And anything else is a shaky, faulty foundation. So he concludes his sermon by saying, Will you always do these perfectly? No. Will you become in Christ a perfect individual practically in this life? Boy, don't I wish. Because that's sure like that for me. The answer is no. But there's a desire to be that. In the healthy believer, there's a desire to be perfect before God. In the healthy believer, there's a desire to live in perfection before others. And to know that he is our shepherd who will ultimately bring us to perfection. Let's pray together. Father, we bow again in your presence this morning. We thank you, O Lord, for your grace. We thank you, Father, that this sermon that's 13 chapters long, as we break it down, as the translators have broken it down, this sermon of 13, 13 chapters we have labored over for 60 weeks. And we could labor over it, Lord, for another 60 and never exhaust the truth within it. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will again just burn this truth into our heart. That, Lord, you will do a new work of grace in each of us as we, as we hear what this writer has said and as we submit ourselves to your word and your truth. Oh, Father, speak to us and teach us, oh, Lord, your glorious truth. Pray in Jesus' name.